this evening, we have some very special guests with us. Mark and Karen Dawson are here. They're missionaries serving in Africa and the Democratic Republic of Congo. So I just want to go ahead and, and invite you to come on up. And uh, church, would you please welcome them? Is this on? It's on. Great. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Mark Dawson. It's my wife, Karen, and we are going to talk with you all tonight, but actually Karen's going to talk first, so I'm really just going to hand it over to her. I'm going to sit down for a moment, and then I'll, I'll come up in a little bit. It's not on. It's on here. It's advanced. I see it here. I don't see it there. There we go. Thank you. Um, it's our pleasure to be here with you tonight, and we're really excited. Um, this family at Calvary Chapel has been um, connected with us for a couple of years, um, three years, I think, since we first went to Congo as missionaries. And so it's just our prayer tonight that um, you're encouraged because you are really a part of what we are doing there. Um, we all play different roles in the body, and so we want to give you some of the, the joy and the excitement of things that we get to be part of on a daily basis. So um, we are there in Congo, up in the corner, and um, let's see, I'll advance it. There we go. Um, it's in the center of Africa, formerly Zaire, in case you're wondering. Those countries change names a lot. Um, and I got my notes here so I don't go too long because Mark's going to share from the word and I'm just going to share some about um, what we're doing specifically. We are kind of behind the scenes missionaries. We actually went to Congo working with a humanitarian organization uh, almost six years ago and that's how we got there but we were attending a church for those three years we worked with the humanitarian organization this really awesome church that we were just participating with and when our three years came to an end we felt like god was asking us to to stay and keep working with this church um that is where we saw lives being changed even though all these humanitarian organizations are are doing trying to do things to help heal the country um we really saw change through the gospel uh, um, and the way that this church specifically was really teaching deep truth that was contextualized for Congo. So it's a complex situation, and I don't have very long, so I'm just going to touch on some things briefly. But um, we are really grateful for the opportunity that we have to serve the local church kind of behind the scenes. Um, our pastor, Nicholas, this is him and his wife, um, they are amazing leaders and have an amazing team around them. And what we try to do is to come up behind them and make them more effective in their ministry. Um, we don't, we speak French, this is a French-speaking country, um, but we don't speak, speak Swahili very well. Um, that's kind of the heart language of a lot of people. But Pastor Nick, he's from our city in Bukavu, and I'll tell you a little bit more about his story later on. Um, but we are just really grateful for Lafar, which means the lighthouse. It also means like a, uh, a headlight on a car. It's kind of like a, sh a guiding light is the French word, um, Lafar. And there's a number of verses, of course, in the Bible that talk about light. We refer to a number of them also in our um, work with Lafar, but especially Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world. And this is really important because Congo is a very spiritually dark um, country. It is heavy. We've had friends and we've experienced it ourselves that even just crossing the border, you feel kind of a, 
and oppression and kind of fear. And, and even though this country claims to be Christian, and most people, if you ask them, are they Christian, there is a huge sense of, of fear and a lot of people who've been really traumatized. You may, I don't know how much African history you know, and again, I don't have time to go into uh, the history of Zaire, but um, it has had a really bloody past. More people have died in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I'm not going to get all the numbers right, but I know that World War II was the last time that this many people died from hunger and disease and starvation and armed conflict. And that was especially during the war um, in the mid-late 90s. Um, but people continued to suffer greatly. Sickness and, um, and, and violence continues. There are over 70 armed groups in the eastern part of the country who, um, you know, like to fight it out and they're in the rural areas we're in a city we feel like we're safe as you would feel in any pretty big city we're in a city of about 1.5 million uh you'll see a picture of it here in a minute but it is um yeah it's a really unique context and when god asked us to stay there honestly i didn't really want to but he works and calls us and it was um really confirmation for me the way that people from the U.S. came behind us and our local church also um, really encouraged us that they saw we had gifts that they really felt like would contribute to the work there. So we're really grateful and I'm trying not to repeat myself and trying not to give you too much of a fire hose but want to give you a little taste of it. Um, another verse that we come back to a lot at Lafar the lighthouse is 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, so much light there and really needed in this country. Um, Let's see, we refer to this in a couple of ways. It's, it speaks for itself, but the mission of the church um, is to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and not just doing that in our words, but doing that in our actions. And we also are also reaching unchurched and lost people, uh, proclaiming the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, not just coming to church, not just doing good things, not going to prayer rooms. The, the Christianity that we see in Congo is, is very superficial. There's been a lot of prosperity, gospel teaching, and a lot of people um, have, have mixed their traditional tribal religion with Christianity, and it's not salvation by grace it's a lot of and you have to do this and this and this and this um so we live in this beautiful place i think it's a city on a hill a city on a lot of hills actually i mentioned earlier it's um very heavy, densely populated and there's no park in congo these houses are going up and up and it's incredibly beautiful in a lot of ways well the city itself isn't that beautiful. The urban area isn't that beautiful, but the landscape around us is amazingly refreshing. It's, I say it's like Hawaii. Don't picture the Sahara Desert. Picture Hawaii. There's a nearby volcano. There's a big lake. It's always comfortable temperature outside, like mid-80s max and upper 50s, the low end. So um, it's really beautiful. Uh, but the city is very crowded because, like I was saying earlier, in the rural areas is where a lot of these armed groups are acting. They're, 
They're fighting over especially natural resources. Congo's a really rich country resource-wise, and um, the local population is not benefiting much from it. The, the politicians, the leaders are very corrupt and very self-seeking, and um, so the local population is generally very poor. This is Bukavu, and in Bukavu, uh, our church, Lafar, we are seeking to be a biblical family on mission, and I'm going to break that down a little bit for you, um, but a lot of it focuses on being in our city. The context of our city is very unique, and our pastor, who was born and raised there, um, he, know, he understands that context, and so this verse, Jeremiah 29, 7, every month when we get together to pray for the country, we pray... Um, for the welfare of this city where we have been sent, I don't know if it's into exile, a lot of our Congolese friends, they could have chosen to leave the country. They have opportunities. We have a lot of educated people who could have gotten jobs in a safer place, making more money, but they've chosen to stay in the city. And so we are really honored to be able to walk with them and to be there with them. And sometimes we don't offer a whole lot um, with our limited language and our limited lots of limitedness in in what we do there because um, it takes a lot of effort just to keep doing daily life there but um, we're honored to walk with these people and to to hold up their hands as they're really in the trenches um, doing outreach we do a lot of work at the church and once we have formed relationships we do discipleship work but we're not out trying to recruit people to come to church so much because there's a lot of cultural misunderstandings when they see white Americans coming out. They they think money and they think my ticket to America. Um, so a lot of times we're ministering through the relationships that we've already formed with these people in our church. Um, praying, serving, and working for the gospel in a culturally appropriate way. And I said I would tell you a little bit about Pastor Nick's story. Um, he had an opportunity to leave the country, and he had his education, got his education in South Africa, which is a pretty developed country. He was lecturing in pharmaceutics, pharmaceuticals, pharmacology, um, something that I don't understand because he's really smart. <laughs> and... Um, and it was there that he was involved in a campus ministry. That, that was the first time he really read the Bible and understood it for the first time. Even though he'd been going to church as a child, he never understood it. It was just going through the motions. And so he became a true believer there in South Africa and felt God calling him to come back to our city, to Bukavu. So we're so grateful to be working with him and getting to be um, shining the light of Christ with him. So I'm going to break down biblical family on mission. And I'm just going to keep going and not, not stop and interject all the th other things I want to say. So biblical, um, the Bible is the basis of everything that we teach, all of our studies. We know that the truth is found in the word and we need people to read the word for themselves because a lot of people go to church and they just take whatever the pastor says and that's how they get down this prosperity gospel trap. But um, when we focus on the Bible, it it addresses some of these shallow conversions, weak discipleship, and prosperity gospel teaching that goes on there. Once people really get into the word, they start to understand it and, and hunger for it and get that spiritual meat. Um, so we're always pointing people back to the gospel. People are surprised sometimes when we come into church and give them a Bible because they're like, oh, 
I can actually follow along and, and I can make sure that what you're saying is in the Bible. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so we're grateful um, for the foundation of the word and the foundation of these local partners we get to work with. There is a great need for gospel renewal and this authentic understanding of the Bible. Some of the things that we're doing now that are pretty recent, um, we're doing a preaching school. Mark has been part of facilitating that so that some of the lay people in our church can get really solid foundations for preaching because our church is multiplying and we're hoping to have, right now we have um, two campuses and about five cities where there are small groups working and so we're trying to church plant I think the the vision is seven new cities within five years or something like that so this preaching school is really important to equip these preachers with solid foundations of the gospel and how to communicate them well and we're also doing some work getting good French Bible study tools believe it or not a lot of the resources we find are in English and not in French and so um, with our church staff we've been working on translating some stuff but also coming up with new material especially when COVID hit and we started doing more um, online stuff we started working on some devotionals based on daily Bible reading and also um, some prayers and more recently we're working on explaining some catechism questions in the local context. Um, so those are some of the current projects for our Bible emphasis. The emphasis on family or in-reach, uh, our primary allegiance is spiritual. It is not tribal or genetic to our, our biological families or political. And this may sound like it's really pertinent for us in the U.S., and I think it is, and it is also in Congo. Um, tribalism and, and family loyalties are often very strong, and, and you find churches that are only one tribe of people, and that's one thing that people love to see when they come to our churches. So, yeah, there's people of different tribes, there's people of different nationalities, and this is our primary allegiance is to our church family because we are all adopted into God's family as brothers and sisters. We are all equals. It doesn't matter what you look like sometimes they can tell what tribe someone else is from by the their way their face is shaped i don't see that yet but um, we're all the same together once we enter into god's family and we are committed to each other as a close-knit community we meet in cell groups regularly and in our neighborhoods and then we also um, are grace-based this is something that's been really exciting for us this year for me especially i work with women as you won't be surprised to learn and um a couple young ladies in our on our worship team um got pregnant out of wedlock and it was really sad and disappointing and it is not a good thing we were going through this study on on grace um the title of the book in english it's a henry it's a blackaby book Putting a face on grace, thank you. In French, it's different. But we were going through this study, and it had an example in the study of this couple who were unmarried. They got pregnant out of wedlock, and the church could choose to shun them, to um, kick them out. But instead, the church said, if you recognize what you've done is sin and you're willing to repent, like, we're not going to shun you. We want to be there to support you if, if you're repentant. And, and we had studied that that chapter in our small groups and then one week and then it was like three or four weeks later the other girl came and in congo that is a huge deal most girls would get kicked out of their their homes and um the men would not have huge repercussions but um 
the church was able to say, okay, here's our opportunity to practice grace. And I was so grateful that both of these girls said, like, yes, we recognize what we've done is wrong. And one of them said, you know, I could have ended the pregnancy and that would have been a greater sin because then I would have compounded one sin on top of the other. And instead, um, I see that the family is willing, the biblical family is willing to accept me back. And so they were able to have communion, uh, a special communion service. And um, we weren't there. I don't know if they shared their testimonies or how they did kind of public um, confession. And now um, they both have healthy babies and the church is their family. Neither of them um, chose to marry the husbands. And anyways, I'm going off a long way, but I'm so grateful that we're a grace-based family because we're all sinners. And we were able to kind of confront that, that cultural um, thing that wasn't an accurate reflection of the gospel, that getting pregnant out of wedlock is not the worst sin in the world. We're all sinners before God. Um, okay, and we are on mission. This is kind of the outreach to people who, who are not part of our biblical family yet. Um, we talk about felt needs and final needs. So when we had been in Congo before, there was so much emphasis on the felt needs. Like we need to feed people, we need to get them clean water, we need to get them health and education, and all those things are great, but we can't do only that. We also have to address the final needs, the personal gospel regeneration that drives why we want to minister to those felt needs. So in the church, we're trying to do both evangelism through cultivating redemptive relationships with non-Christians and inviting them both to church and gospel communities. And sometimes these non-Christians go to other churches, or they used to go to church, and they got burnt out at church. Um, so it looks different. And again, most of the time, Mark and I aren't out doing the evangelism work except through Frisbee. If you um, have heard us talk before, that's one part of our ministry where we do build relationships. And and in our, our small um circle of influence. We do reach out to people, but a lot of our work is with the in-reach, with discipleship. Um, and then we also do acts of mercy and justice as a church, um, searching for temporary healing for the wounds and ills that are caused by sins and serving the poor and marginalized in the community in different ways. We go to um, hospitals on a monthly basis and pray for people and give them some basic items. Um, we also have a literacy program in one of the poor neighborhood neighborhoods in church, and the guy who runs that program, he said, you know, tell your friends about us. It's a new program working with vulnerable women, so if you are interested in that, we'd be happy to talk to you more after the service, and uh, if you would like to give to that ministry, it's just getting up and started, so they are in need, um, and you could do that just by putting in the um, the love offering box with a note for um, for the literacy program. And so um, I think that's kind of a big overall picture. I forgot to start my watch to see how long I've been going, but I'm sure I've been going for quite a while because um, Mark is going to come and share a sermon that he had shared um, at our church. Um, he preaches from time to time. Anyway, so how you can pray for us. We're going back to Congo in um, about a month. Pray for us for divine wisdom as we prepare these teaching materials that I talked about, for opportunities to speak truth where people have believed false teaching, healthy relationships with our Congolese co-laborers, with the pastor and the other um, church workers. There's a lot of opportunities for misunderstandings, and so pray that we continue to have healthy relationships for safe travel and good health. And um, also, we're excited. We have a short-term nanny 
slash intern who's coming back with us. It seems like God is leading her to come back with us. And you may, you may know someone, um, Catherine Colker, is uh, going to come back with us for three months. And so pray for her as she adjusts. And um, we're so grateful that, um, that the Lord seems to be leading this way. And pray for her family, too, as they step out in faith and, and trust us and trust God with, with her in this new adventure. Um, thank you for letting us share. Thank you for supporting us. We'll be out back after, or back, you know where I'm talking about, after service if you have questions or if you want to sign up for our email list. Um, I also have some dresses. One of the young ladies who had gotten pregnant out of wedlock is a seamstress, and she sewed some dresses if you're interested in buying one. They are out there too. Thank you. Je peux le faire si vous voulez, mais ça sera compliqué. I, I said, I said I can do that if you would like it, but it will be complicated. So, so let, I'll, I'll just teach in English tonight. Thank you. Um, our passage tonight is John chapter 20, uh, verses 19 through 31. Uh, we will read it, um, but before we read it, uh, let me just offer some... We'll get started with something else. I have a question for all of you uh, tonight. If you could ask God to give you three things, what would you ask God for? You get to ask God for three things. French lessons. He might do it. What would you ask God for? Tonight, we get to learn what three things Jesus decided to give to his disciples. And I, I, I hope that will be, in any case, illuminating for us to see um, these surprises that Jesus gives. The, the title of my sermon tonight is The Surprises of Jesus. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just wonderful, really wonderful to see what Jesus did. My, my goal tonight is that you would see through this passage that Jesus is risen physically, that Jesus gives life, peace, and a mission to every sinner who recognizes who he is and submits themselves to him. I hope that you will see in this passage that Jesus is physically resurrected, that he shows himself to his disciples, to disciples who, although they are unworthy of him, that they accept him as the Messiah and the Son of God. Okay, let's read our passage. Again, John chapter 20, verse 19 through 31. If you're using your Bibles in the pew there, it's on page 1,670, yeah, 1,675. John 20, 19 through 31. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that you would teach us tonight. Holy Spirit, please make clear to us uh, whatever you want uh, to highlight. Lord, may we be sensitive to whatever it is that you want to, yeah, to say to each of us tonight. Lord, help us um, to respond uh, in love, Lord, we pray that we would all have a greater, a greater awe of who you are and your great love for us. Guide me, O oh Lord. Please protect me from saying uh, things that aren't true. And I pray in any case that the people here would take, take that which is true uh, and, and leave the rest. For your name and your glory, Lord. Amen. Okay, the first surprise of the surprises of Jesus is that Jesus is resurrected. All right, that's the first surprise. It's not, it's not exactly in this passage, but everything, everything that I say tonight actually will make no sense and will not be important, frankly, if Jesus is not resurrected. So I, we, we have to start with that. Jesus is resurrected from the dead, um, and that is very much the basis of everything that I'm going to say tonight, uh, really everything that the Bible has to say. Um, okay, that's the first surprise of Jesus. The second surprise is the first of my three points tonight. The first point is that Jesus pursues the unworthy. Jesus pursues the unworthy. Now, this is a surprise. It's not surprising to us because we've, like, read the story before, right? But it is surprising if you think about what actually happened there, and if we can get into the mind tech, the, the mindset of the local context here. It's, it's actually really hard uh, for us uh, in the United States to understand um, what kind of a relationship Jesus had with his disciples. So I want to introduce you to a, a concept um, that exists within Congolese culture, because I think it's much closer to what Jesus had with his disciples. And that concept is um, that of a buana. Everyone say Buana with me. Buana, B-W-A-N-A, Buana. Buana is a word that translated into English means like five or six different words. Um, it, it means the boss or it means the Lord. It means the person who is in charge. It means the big person. And in Congolese culture, if someone is your Buana, that, that person therefore is all those things. That person is very much the boss, but it's not just in a work context, it's in any context. This person is in charge. 
even in American culture, though, it's hard for us to really understand this concept of buona because we, in our culture, we kind of don't like other people being in charge over us. Um, we, uh, and we're very used to the idea of questioning the person who is in charge or critiquing them or giving them our advice or maybe doing a revolution if we don't like how they're doing things. That's very foreign, actually, to, to Congolese culture. Congolese culture is very um, top-heavy, uh, in a sense. The people at the top have the power. The people at the bottom do not. And it's very, it's extraordinarily rare, actually, for someone. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, like, unthinkable that someone would critique their buana, for example, or also that they would do anything that their buana didn't want them to do. And... I want you to think about this. Maybe a middle ground for us would be to think about kind of old Greco-Roman days when there were great teachers. They would have disciples. This is kind of like Jesus and his disciples. You know, think of like Socrates. Okay, Socrates would have had all these disciples, and he's just hanging out, and they come to him, and they ask him questions. Think about this. If Socrates had these disciples, and... Uh, one day, um, the disciple, one of the one of his disciples, uh, tells the uh, the police that Socrates has done something that he hasn't done, and then the police come to arrest him, and all of Socrates' disciples say, "We don't know that guy," and they run away, and then Socrates is killed by the police just before he's about to die. Would Socrates? pursue his disciples again and say, guys, y'all are so great. Like, that's unthinkable. The disciples have not only don't have the right to kind of, um, to have turned their back on, on the teacher, but especially because they were in the wrong, the teacher would never pursue them. I hope that y'all feel that a little bit. It is a surprise that Jesus pursues the unworthy. And that is part of what makes this passage so phenomenal. Let's read this again in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. The disciples, I hope that you see in this passage, highlights it, and um, certainly if you, if you understand the story, the disciples are, frankly, bad disciples. They're bad disciples. You know, it's, a disciple is not supposed to turn their master into the police, and when the police come and uh, accuse him, you know, run away and tell people that they've, they've never, <laughs> they don't really know that guy. Um, even after, and, and not, not just are they bad disciples before Jesus is killed, even after Jesus is resurrected, they're still bad disciples, right? And why do I say this? Because Jesus told them before he was killed, he said, I'm going to be killed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise again three days later, and then we're going to do these things. So Jesus told them that this is going to happen. And here they are now, three days later, they're not like, full of faith, walking around, getting ready to, to welcome Jesus, they're hiding in the room, okay? They, they have heard, they have heard, Mary told them, Jesus is risen, 
All right. What, and they weren't like out looking for Jesus. They're not like in the room looking for Jesus. Like, oh, let's lock ourselves in the room. He must be in here. They're there because they're afraid. All right. And yet Jesus pursues them. This idea of Jesus pursuing the unworthy is actually so important. It's so important that the author makes this point twice in the story. In fact, this passage is mostly devoted to this point. All right, Jesus pursues the, un- the disciples generally. They're unworthy. And then when Thomas isn't there, he does it again to highlight this idea. Are you a sinner? Are you someone who <laughs> has done what God did not want you to do? Are you someone who has made a really bold declaration? Uh, have you taken a stance against something that, f- frankly, is, opposes who Jesus is? It's not too late for you. Jesus pursues Thomas here in a special way. This, my friends, is very, very good news. It's good news that Jesus pursues the unworthy because the disciples here, as much as I want to make fun of them for being bad disciples, the disciples here are actually, they are, they are the disciples, they did do these things, but they also serve very much as a symbol for me and for you. And by that I mean, if Jesus could love the disciples who betrayed him in a really p- terrible way so that he was killed afterward, this is a big deal betrayal. If Jesus can still love them, then he can still love you and me. And that's very, that's very, very important. Jesus pursues the unworthy, and in fact, those are the only people that Jesus pursues. Pastor Jim talked about this here uh, uh, on Sunday two weeks ago. It's essential that we as Christians understand this and we hear it on a regular basis. Jesus has nothing to offer to people who are holy by themselves. Nothing. If you read the Gospels, Jesus' strongest words are for the people who thought they did not need him because they were holy enough, they were good enough. Jesus only pursues the unworthy. That's a surprise, and it's actually good, good, good news because, in fact, all of us are unworthy of God. Okay, our second point are uh, the blessings of Jesus. Jesus gives several blessings. I'm actually not going to talk about them all tonight, Um, both in this passage and just within all of Scripture. There are a lot of things that I could talk about. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to focus on just three things. The first one is peace. Focusing on it because Jesus said it a lot in this passage, right? At the end of verse 19, he says, peace be with you. He says to them again in verse 21, peace to you. As the Father sent me, I shall send you. And he says it again to Thomas, peace to you. Why is Jesus talking about all this peace? (laughs) Jesus wants to free the disciples from their fear. What are we talking about? Well, remember the dis- where the disciples are. They're in this room with the door locked because they're afraid of the Jews, right? They're not only that, they're afraid of lots of things. And Jesus comes to them and says, peace to you. He wants the disciples to not be afraid of the Jews, and I'll get to that in a moment. He also wants them to not be afraid of him because, remember, they've all just abandoned him, <laughs> So remember, if, so if, if Socrates' if, if Socrates' disciples abandoned him and then he died 
and then he was somehow alive again, and you had just, they had just abandoned him. You know, I would be afraid of the person that I had just betrayed and who was killed. If he was alive suddenly, I would think maybe he would want to seek revenge. Um, and so Jesus, quite kindly, instead of saying, why did you do that, you know, wringing their neck, he says, peace to you. It's astounding. This is surprising. It's not, frankly, help. Jesus does not act like a person. You know, most people would be quite angry when people abandon them uh, to their death. Uh, Jesus instead says, peace to you. He wants the disciples to know that he loves them. He wants them to have peace with him. But he also, he also wants them to know that there's even a bigger peace issue going on here. Because if Jesus is alive now, that means that death is no longer a threat. And that, I think, is the real basis. That's what, that's what Jesus is really saying to his disciples. You know, Jesus, it's, it's amazing. The disciples are always asking Jesus these questions that to us seem kind of silly. Like, can I be the best in your kingdom? Or like, when you come in all your glory, like, are we going to take over these places? You know, and, and Jesus, it seems like he has all these things he kind of wants to tell them, but it's like they're not going to get it. And at this point, he's saying, peace, peace be to you. And, and it, it's like he's saying to them, we beat death. Like, we did it, guys. Like, the, like, the life is different forever. Can you, can you feel that? Jesus is telling his disciples, we don't have to be afraid anymore of anything. <laughs> that is why there is peace with Jesus, because Jesus has conquered death itself. If that is the case, what do, what do we rightfully have to fear? Not only death, you might think, and maybe you're answering, well, we, you, we could fear life after death. That actually is quite reasonable. But for the disciples, for those who trust in Jesus, that also becomes something that we don't have to be afraid of anymore. And again, it's because of Jesus. Because Jesus Jesus has solved our sin enigma. Jesus has taken the great problem that humanity has, the fact that we are unworthy toward God, and he has created a way for us to be reconciled with God. And that is also why there is peace with Jesus. Because with Jesus, death is not the end, because with Jesus, we no longer have our great sin problem with God. That, my friends, is what really gives the disciples peace. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not trying to say, you know, have a great day. He's saying the revolution has begun. The world will never be the same. Right? You feel it. It's, it's, it's astounding. Jesus is giving his disciples peace. The second gift he gives them is life. This really flows actually just from the first point um, because of everything I just said. The peace that we have in Jesus is largely based on the fact that he gives life. Um, I'm just going to read some verses uh, quickly for us. First John chapter 5 verses 11 and 12. You can flip there with me if you want. First John 5, we're on page 1,868, no, 69. 
1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I'll keep going. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in the name of Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. There's this interesting thing that I want us to focus on. There is life in Jesus, and that's important for us to to remember also because uh, this is also actually related to our the issue about peace. We'll, we'll talk more about peace uh, later. Uh, there is not life in any other name. The scripture is clear about that. Jesus is clear about that. There's not life in any other name. Not in Muhammad, not in Pastor Jim, not in the United Nations, not in respecting the Constitution, not in being wealthy, not in respect in society. None of these things give life. Only Jesus. Only Jesus gives life. The third blessing of Jesus in this passage is a mission. Some of you feel like, well, that's not a blessing. <laughs> why, did, why did he give us a bunch of work to do? Um, I understand that context or that, um, that mindset because I grew up uh, in the United States and we have, for the most part, um, been fooled uh, into this kind of false belief about work. Um, th- there's this, this kind of, uh, yeah, there's this false mindset going around, perspective maybe you could say. This is that uh, work is not really what's good. What's really good is relaxing all the time, and so that the, the good life is kind of being uh, on vacation at all times. You could be on vacation at home if you want, but work is a necessary evil. Um, that thought, that philosophy is based in Greco-Roman philosophy. It is not, however, based in the Bible at all. Why do I say that? If you read Genesis, uh, the first three chapters, it's very clear that God, when he created the garden and he created everything good, and even before there was sin, God gave human beings work to do. He gave them tasks, things to do, and he gave them a mission. So the first thing I want to say when I, is that Jesus gives us a mission, and it is a blessing. It's a good thing. Don't believe the lie of our culture that says, oh, you know, the good life is if I don't have to work anymore. That's a false paradigm. And why do I know this? Actually, our own culture tells us this, right? What, why? Why is it? It's, this is surprising to us. You all don't know this. Uh, maybe you don't know this. Uh, the rate of suicide in Congo, where life seems physically really terrible, right? Where people don't have electricity and water, where people have lots of diseases, where people are dying um, for all kinds of preventable reasons. The rate of suicide in Congo is one-seventh the rate that it is in, in, in the United States and in other Western nations. Why is that? Why is that? It's because people here don't have a mission. We don't have a, really thing, a thing that's really driving us. God created human beings, in fact, to have work. And when we don't, the void of purposelessness sucks us in. It sucks us in. And, and our culture is, in fact, full of things that are designed to distract us 
from the nothingness that we that actually predominates. We as human beings need a mission. What now? What is the mission that Jesus gives them? He he in the passage. Um, in this passage, it's not super explicit. You know, he says, I send you out as the Father has sent me. Um, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is more explicit about it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This passage is also right after Jesus' resurrection. He's talking to his disciples, and he says... Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Right? Peace be to you. I have conquered death. (laughs) All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus gives the disciples this wonderful mission of making disciples of the entire world. Now, this is actually not the only mission that Jesus, this is like a specific working out of the mission of Jesus. If you look at Jesus's life, Jesus had kind of two missions, right? The, the first was actually to glorify God, right? It's very clear from Jesus's teaching that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to glorify the Father. He says, I, I only do what I see the Father doing. He, he's, he's trying to give glory to the Father. But in fact, making disciples of all nations is also pursuing that same goal, right? What is it that we want all the nations to do? To glorify God. Um, but he gets, he gets much more specific with the disciples. He wants them to go out. He gives them this wonderful mission. Now, I need to be really clear here. This is especially, yeah, I need to be really clear here. Jesus gives the mission to go and make disciples after the disciples have believed. He does not give this mission as a condition to become a disciple. He gives this mission to people who already are disciples. And that distinction is really important. It's really, really important. I need to be very clear with you tonight. I am not up here teaching religion. All right? Religion says that if you do the right things, then God rewards you. If you religion would say, if you make a disciple, then God will accept you. Then you get into heaven. Then God will forgive you. And that's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that people who were bad disciples can still be forgiven by God. And when they are forgiven, it is their joy to go and tell other people about the very good, good God who has forgiven them. And that is the way the authentic gospel moves. The authentic gospel always always has faith and love that motivates our action. It's not action trying to earn God's favor. Um, that is very misunderstood in our context in Congo. People are trying really hard to be good enough for God so that he will love them. And unfortunately, we cannot be good enough. Uh, Finally, uh, related to the mission, I just want to point out again in the passage, Jesus gives them a mission, and I want to quote him again. It's good to quote Jesus as much as you can. Um, 
Verse 21, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. What does that mean? As the Father has sent me, I also send you. At the very least, that means there, Jesus is saying that there will be some similarities between what happened to him and what's going to happen to the disciples. I, th- I think, therefore, that we should expect a number of things that happened to Jesus to be happening to us. We should expect, I think, difficulty. I think we should expect persecution. I think we should expect frequent rejection of the message. I think we should expect rejection from the world in general. We don't know specifically who's going to reject, right? That, that's why we keep pro- proclaiming um, but we should not be disheartened when we find that people don't want to follow Jesus. Uh, you know, sometimes when Karen and I are working on Congo, um, you know, we'll, we'll explain to someone the perspective of our church, which is the authentic gospel, which is that God is our greatest good, that he loves us, that when we believe in him, we can have eternal life through Christ. And people are uninterested in that, frankly. They're very interested in a God who is asking them to do, to asking them to go to church or to give money to church. And that that God, sorry, and that if they do those things, then God will take care of all their earthly problems. The main things, (laughs) yeah, The main prayer requests people in Congo is, I really want a long life, I really want to be healthy, I really want to be rich. This is what people mostly outside of our church are praying for, and they're praying for it every day. And I just want to say that as disciples of of Jesus, that's that's not what we should be expecting. (laughs) Um, And and these things are not, let me just uh, go to... Oh, no. Sorry. Uh, let me... These things are not among the blessings that Jesus gives. I didn't, t- I, didn't, I didn't talk about all the blessings that Jesus gives, but it's very clear that Jesus did not give to his disciples earthly wealth. He did not give them long, happy, healthy lives, right? Thomas, who we, who we studied specifically today, Thomas is killed because of his faith in Jesus, specifically for that reason. Um... Okay, Thomas, actually, that is that is what we should talk about next. The good response to Jesus. Um, yeah, this passage just has everything. Verse 28, let's read this. So Jesus shows himself to Thomas, and Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm just going to keep going. Um, verse 30 also. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. Thomas says two really fantastic things here. <laughs> he, he, he calls Jesus my Lord and my God. If you're reading in Swahili, he would say my buana and my mungu, which is God. He, he, he made Jesus his buana. 
and and that that's an, an important thing to understand here specifically for Thomas he's because there was this oh man I just don't have time to get into it <laughs> Jesus is fully man and he's fully God right and Jesus Thomas is acknowledging that actually here in this statement uh, the Greeks were used to the idea that like there were gods, there's multiple gods, so calling him God is not offensive to Greeks. Jews, on the other hand, would not be offended to call someone Buana, to call someone Lord, but they would be very offended at calling someone God. Thomas here is uh, offending both camps, not on purpose, but he's he's trying to say what is really true and acknowledging, uh, sorry, he's trying to say what is really true, and in doing so, uh, he accepts the fact that this will be offensive to kind of everyone. And that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That, in fact, is the good response to Jesus. To make Jesus your buona, your master, your king, your boss. And Thomas did actually do that when you look at the rest of his life. Like I just said, Thomas took on the mission of Jesus because he made Jesus his buona and the Buana is the boss, he did what Jesus told him to do, right? He, he pursued that mission. He went all the way to India. He was killed, martyred in India. He was not, he didn't live his, it's funny, you know, he's called Doubting Thomas, but most of his life, actually, he was very much believing Thomas. <laughs> After this moment, he lived very much a life of faith. Um. And that, uh, my friends, is the good response to Jesus to make him our Lord, our Buana, and acknowledge, yeah, that he is, he is God. Okay, so we're here in Roswell in 2021. We're not in Congo, actually. So what does all this mean for today? Um, briefly, I want to say, basically, you can, you know, how do you apply this to your life today? Look at the three blessings of Jesus, and it's it's possible, I would encourage us to try to appropriate them for yourselves. The first thing that I want us to do is to believe in Jesus. The, John is really clear. That's like what he wants you to do. He, there aren't many places in the Bible where the author just tells you, this is what I want you to do. But here it is. You know, he wants you to believe. Verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many disciples. He did many signs. 31, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the word that means king there. It's another word that means buana. It's the same idea. Jesus is the buana. He's the Christ. He's the king. He's the son of God. So he, he's, he's touching both of, those, both of those sides here. And that believing you may have life in his name. If you don't know Jesus, don't go a moment further. Right? That, that is the whole point of what we're doing tonight. And like I, I said before, the other things that I'll say after this are, are meaningless if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, if you don't know Jesus to be God. If that is the case, please come talk with me afterward. Um, talk to, to someone, Phil, or someone here wants to help you get to know Jesus as, as your Lord, uh, really as God. Um, and that, that's the most important application, really, that you could have tonight. Um, yeah. Believe on Jesus as Lord and God. The second thing, application, is to receive Jesus' peace. You might feel like the disciples had a lot of things to worry about. 
But I could be wrong, but I feel like actually in our advanced modern age here in America, we're even better at worrying than the disciples were. This is a, I don't know if it was like this uh, before 2020, uh, but our nation is anxious. We're anxious, we're on edge about so, so, so many things. And nearly everything we're anxious about are things that are situation dependent, that can change one day or another. We need very much the peace of Jesus, which is the same all the time, which will not disappoint us. All the other things that we put our peace in, they will disappoint us. They will, if it's your spouse, if it's your kids, if it's your bank or investment account, if it's your political perspective, if it's what you do for fun, whatever. These things outside of Jesus, they will not satisfy us. They will disappoint us, but Jesus will not. And Jesus invites us today also to find our peace in him. The last uh, application uh, for us is to pursue Jesus' mission. You know, he gave it to the disciples then, but it is, has been the understanding of Christians since that time that that mission was not only for those 12 disciples, I believe very much, that if I make Jesus my Lord, that his mission then is still my mission today. Now, to go and make disciples of all nations means a lot of things. But it especially means, I believe, that you make disciples where you are. And God might take you anywhere. And if you make disciples wherever you are, then wherever God takes you, you're making disciples. And that, I think, is, is the real point. Um, maybe God will call some of you here to go outside of Roswell. I do not know. <laughs> um, but I do know that God is calling all of us to pursue him. God is calling all of us and he wants all of us to pursue his mission, to, to be able to tell other people why there's hope in Christ. If that's one of the main things that the church has failed to do in the United States in the last hundred years, it's to tell people why there's hope in Christ. When people think about Christians, they think for the most part about what we don't want, about maybe what we think about something. But we have... People never think of those Christians. Those are the people who think there's so much hope in this man who lived 2,000 years ago. If we could just tell people why there's hope in Christ. I just, yeah, Lord knows what he would do. Uh, I just want to invite you um, to, to pursue Jesus' mission. It is Jesus' mission. Um, it, don't do it on your own, but do it with Jesus. He will be with you to the end of the age, he said in Matthew. If you don't know where to go or what to do or who to talk to, tell that to Jesus. Just tell him. Lord, I'd like to pursue your mission. Don't know how. I don't know who I could talk to. I feel like, I, yeah, I don't know who. Ask God to show you those people. Do it for one month. He will start showing you. He will start showing you. He wants, he wants you to do this. Um, yeah, okay, that's all for tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your kindness. Um, thank you, Lord, for giving us a mission, for giving us peace, for giving us life. We are unworthy Lord, we are unworthy. Uh, and we praise you, Lord. We praise you for these things. Thank you that you are not like a person. You're not vindictive. 
Um, Lord, you're not, then you don't hold a grudge, Lord, but for those who would repent, Lord, for those who would acknowledge their sin, for those who would turn to you, who would make you their Lord and their King, who acknowledge you as God, Lord, you are full of kindness, kindness that outstrips in an absurd way uh, what we deserve, Lord. <sighs> yeah, I mean, you are, you're just wonderful, Lord. Thank you. I pray that we would all grow in our understanding of your love for us and of our need for you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would show each of us uh, how you want us to pursue your mission. I pray that you would help us all, Lord, to let go of the different things that we've been putting our peace in. And instead, Lord, walk in faith, uh, finding our peace in you. Um, Lord, do these things for your name and your glory. Amen. Karen? We appreciate you. Thank you for sharing this evening. Um, they have a table set up back there in the foyer. Uh, you can go and you can sign up so you can be notified uh, on their uh, email list. Is that correct? They can, you can join their, their email list. Uh, if you're interested in supporting them, they mentioned a number of things there that we can get behind them on. Certainly prayer. We can certainly pray for them. Uh, if you'd like to uh, make a contribution to them, a financial contribution, you can make that out to Calvary Chapel and just put their name in the memo line there, and we will make sure that they get that. So join me uh, in praying for them real quick. Let's, let's lift them before the Lord's throne. Father, we do pray for Mark and Karen. We thank you for them. We thank you for their commitment to you. We thank you, Lord, that they have answered your call and that they are on mission, Lord that they've given up so much, they've sacrificed much, Lord, to serve you and to serve your people there in Congo. We just ask, God, that you would go before them. You would open doors. You would make their way prosperous in a spiritual sense, Lord, that you would, you would lead them to the people that, that they can minister to, Lord. They shared about just the, the translation of, of resources from English into French, Lord, give them wisdom and help in that. And Lord, we just pray that you would supply every need, every need, physical, financial, Lord, that you would, you would guard them, you'd keep them. And Lord, that through their lives, Lord, you would bring yourself much, much glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's stand together. We'll close in a worship song.